This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, dear listener, Joshua here with a plug for our Patreon. Becoming a Fright School patron will give you the opportunity for exclusive access to bonus content, including videos, our secret show, book club, and even monthly online hangouts with us. That's right. We've been hard at work preparing all of this exciting content for you, including our brand new secret show, The After Fright School Special. Joe finally gets his revenge by making me watch his favorite films. Some of them will even be gag family friendly. We have four different monthly memberships available. The PTA Booster Club at a dollar, Just Auditing at $5, Full-Time Load at $10, and the Faculty Lounge at $20. Every bid helps us keep Fright School going, and we are so grateful for any and all of your support. Join us over at patreon.com slash Fright School. The class you never want to miss just got better. Before we begin, we wanted to issue a content warning for this week's episode. There is a frank discussion of sexual violence, assault, and trauma that some may find disturbing. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Bonjour. Is it really you? Bonsoir. Uh, It's not really soir, but it's okay. (laughs) Just to keep in the theme, you know. Yes, bonsoir. Uh, Yes, yes, we are going to try not to be awful uh, with our French accents today, but it's it's probably going to be really hard. Uh, so we'll, we'll just see what happens. How art thou dear Um, Joseph? Oh, I am great. I am great. Uh, all things considered. I am great. Good. Me too. I'm very, very excited. We just got our, uh, travel passes for London so that we can ride the tube, the tube, uh, and, and, you know, the Metro and whatever else. I'm very excited because we're doing all of this last minute. Uh, actually by the time this airs, well, no, we won't be gone yet, but we'll, we'll be about to leave. I forgot. It's the last episode of the month. We'll be in, we'll be in London. Uh, but yeah, so we're doing this so last minute that I was like really worried it wouldn't get here in time, but they got here in time, especially with COVID and everything still and trying to get a delivery from London. Cause you had to order them online and I don't know. Anyways, it was just a mess. Thankfully we got them in time. You couldn't just buy them there for the type of pass and like the deal that we got, like, you know, for, buying them online it was just better it was cheaper to do it that way than buy like one at a time because it's like a full seven days it's like a week pass so it gives us unlimited everything while we're there so we don't even have to think about it that's awesome yeah which is what we wanted to do look at this cute new mug i got it's a chimera 
Sorry, this is only going to be visible to the people who can watch this video. Uh, but yeah, so subscribe to our Patreon so you can see the Chimera mug. I, it looks like an herb, <laughs> it looks like a yerba mate mug. You just need the straw. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was super cute, so I bought it. Um, one of my uh, favorite, uh, a lot of the clothing I wear um, companies they do every year. They do like a clearance sale a couple times a year, and if you wait them out. They will eventually do like a clearance clearance sale where it's like 40% off if you buy like four clearance items. So I got a jacket and some other things, you know, for the trip. And I saw this little mug and I also saw this little like um, strange, I myself am strange and unusual thing. So I was like, oh, I'm stocked up on things to drink from. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've also been really binge watching Murder. She done already sat down and she wrote. Um <laughs> I've watched like two seasons of it over the last couple of days. It's I'm really into like the cozy mystery right now. I don't know. It's like I'm reading the the like the Thursday Murder Club books. There's a new a, a new one I'm waiting on. Um, you know, I'm like enjoying like a nice cozy mystery. That show is insane. Did you ever watch Murder She Wrote? Murder She Done sat down and she did write. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched. Yes, so. My aunt, my auntie Rita, who um, used to watch us when we were kids, she had like her daily list of programs, mostly on A&E. And it was like Quincy and The Equalizer and Murder, She Done Sat Down and She Wrote. Um, So, yes. So I am very familiar with uh, Cabot Cove, the denizens of Cabot Cove and one Miss Jessica Fletcher. Right. I well, I love that because it's kind of the same. Like we watched it growing up. We watched a lot of it when it was new. Like there was a couple years where I was like seven, eight, where like ever I think it was on Sundays. I can't remember, but I, I feel like I have a strong memory of like Murder She Wrote, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, The Simpsons, like kind of ending the weekend, you know, like we kind of watched them like bam, 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 bam. Uh, it could have been like reruns or syndication of Murder She Wrote we were watching instead, but I do know we watched some of it new. I just can't remember what day. Again, this is 30 years ago we're talking. Um, But that show, it is so fucking bonkers. Like, one, I love watching it with Jeffrey because he doesn't watch it so much as every time somebody comes on uh, the camera, he goes, oh, my God, that's blah, 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 blah. I mean, he'd like every, even people that like, nobody would know they've been dead for 40 years or whatever, you know, 30 years, what, however long it's been, you know, they died right after it. Cause you know, Jessica Fletcher, serial killer. Um, mm-hmm. But he like recognizes everybody in just in the first few episodes, I watched like Linda Blair popped up uh, in one, uh, the dad from um, my big fat Greek wedding. I can't remember his name. The one that sprays Windex on everything. Uh, yes, he was in uh, an the, episode. The, the Romany man from. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Jeff Conway playing a terrible drag queen in another. Uh, it really is a who's that of like the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, like when they, you know, stars. Uh, who else? The one with Lynn Redgrave. Uh, that's exciting. Red yeah, there's like a lot of people on it, but Jeffrey, he just sits there. That's such and such from MASH. I'm like, I didn't watch MASH. <laughs> but anyway, so I enjoy it for that. It's fun because he just like, st- like, you know how our bedroom is set up, how we have the TV. I'll be laying in bed and he will just stand with his hand on the bed, staring at the TV and just going off on who everybody is. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. Second reason that show is fucking bonkers is I was watching one last night where a fashion guy, I guess he was like a financer. He wasn't a, fi- a fashion 
uh, designer himself, but he was like a, a, a an investor. Got shot twice because two different people. One person tried to kill him, and then somebody else successfully killed him. Came in to finish the job, and he's laying there dead. The wife is there, you know, obviously like, oh no, my husband's dead. The police get there, and they're like, oh no, you know, this guy's dead. We got to f- figure this out. <gasps> are you Jessica Fletcher? I love your books. And they had the whole like conversation about what a great mystery writer she is. And Jessica's laughing. And I'm like, this woman is standing here with her husband murdered. And it's just like, that show has so many moments like that, that are just bizarre. It's like, this is, you know, uh, but th- well, I guess that's the other thing. The third insane thing about it is that she's allowed to investigate it all. Like she's just, co- she's breaking all kinds of laws, <laughs> going through people's personal things, stealing things, inserting herself where she doesn't. I mean, it's nuts, uh, but I enjoy it. It's very cozy. Get some tea, some bonbons, you know, watch some murders. <laughs> murders she done already sat down and she wrote my favorite is like in the opening credits where every time she has like a flashlight and she's wearing her members only jacket, like just, you know, snooping where she shouldn't be. Yeah. It's delightful. So I've been doing that, uh, that, that, that's, that's been really entertaining to me. So, I, you know, going, going to the past, um, this might be a little sad. I don't necessarily mean to bring it down, but, um, <laughs> the day that Rakshasa died, Uh, We had left the TV running all day and it was a uh, Parks and Rec marathon. And I was laying on the floor in the living room with him, you know, waiting for the the vet to come. And uh, so we just laid together on the floor for hours, you know, watching Parks and Rec. So I have not been able to watch it since that day. It's just anytime it's on, I change the channel or I try to avoid it. But yesterday I watched the first episode again and I remember just how fun that show is. So I don't know. It's it's like it's a weird grief thing, but it's like, yeah, I couldn't watch it for the longest time. And I wasn't even conscious of it, really, because it was like in the like I was going through so much. It's not like I was watching it. It was just such a presence that day. And we didn't like turn the TV off and just to have it going, you know, um, just to have noise. And so it was just a weird thing. But I realized yesterday I watched the very like the first episode that I've watched in like two years, two plus years, whatever it is now that he's been gone. And uh, yeah, so there's also that. So see, breaking through silver linings, grief, all of that. We process, we move on. What about you, you Joe? You contain multitudes. I do, I do. (laughs) Uh, What about you? Have you been watching any uh, anything or seen anything? Gone to a scene in movie? Um, Nothing in. uh, Well, I did see Fire Island um, in theaters. Actually, this was. Uh, this is at the beginning of the month, so this is a little late update. But um, I, we, uh, James and I saw uh, Fire Island with some friends in theaters. Um, you weren't invited because why would I? It's men. Um, <laughs> why would I invite you? It is men. Uh, Wait, what movie? Fire Island. Oh right, yeah, no, yeah, you know, yeah, it's I... made, it, it's a win for API for it for Asian American queer representation. But you know, right. you probably have no interest. I see that Margaret Cho is in it. So part of me is like, well, I do kind of want to support her. I, I don't know. I mean, you kind of sold me a little bit on it, like talking about it. I don't know when I'm going to watch it. I have to really like be, I feel like I need to pick like a good queer mix of movies and like watch that with them, you know, maybe, I don't know. I just, it's a good uh, plane movie. It's yeah. on Hulu. So it's good. It's good for the yeah. plane. 
Um, but yes, um, and I found this out later that uh, in the original script, uh, Margaret Cho, Margaret Cho's character was actually supposed to be was written for um, um, male for written for um, another man. But oh. when that man dropped out, uh, it just so happened that Margaret Cho got in contact with the writer and the director and said, I want to be in this film. And they reworked the part for her. And it just works so much better with her as this kind of like, you know, mother, elder lesbian figure on the island. And it's, she's, she's really funny. And um, so I guess, we saw, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, so you know, I was just going to say, we saw that, but um, uh, it, it, that was the last movie I saw in theaters. I saw a Twitter exchange. I guess somebody was like, one, I know there was complaints about it not passing the Bechtel test, which um, Bechtel has come out and given it a pass herself and said that, like, (laughs) uh, this film, it's okay, (laughs) which I thought was funny. Um, And I also like that they reiterated, like, the Bechtel test isn't meant to be, like you know, super serious. Like it's, you know, it's, it was kind it's started sort of not exactly as a joke, but you know, it's not like a super serious critical analysis of films, you know, so it can, there can be nuance to like why a woman may not, you know, play a role in a film or not. Um, you know, so I thought that was an interesting exchange, just kind of bringing up the Bechtel test. And then the other was somebody posted calling, like all the lesbians in it drab or something. And Margaret Cho like responded and like wrote, like, I didn't know I was drab. I think I'm fab, you know, being like how Margaret is. Uh, and so that blew up. And that was the thing where everybody was talking about the lesbian representation in the film and whether or not like, you know, the lesbians were boring or these matronly drab types. And it's, I just can't imagine Margaret Cho playing, you know, but again, I, I didn't really follow it too much because I wasn't sure if I was going to you know watch the film. So again, that might be something really good actually for what the After Fright School special, our secret show um, that uh, we have available on our Patreon. Uh, that might be a good one for that. Maybe we should uh, we should try before. Well, I don't know. I don't know about June, but maybe in July, maybe for San Diego Pride. Yeah, we'll do, I think we'll for San Pride Diego Pride. Bonus. Maybe we could do that for a pride yeah. bonus kind of thing. It's, so. it's not without its um, it's not without its problems, um, yeah. per- performance wise and all of that stuff. But it's I mean I'm curious because like you've read you I'm assuming you've read Pride and Prejudice. So from a literary standpoint, I'm curious to see what you what you would have to say. Um, I make sure it's meant I, to be an interpretation. It's it's adapted. It's a it's an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, it's supposed to be a fairly faithful adaptation, but it also the where the different where the like it centers, it centers specifically on on uh, different relationships than the book does. But yeah. it's supposed to be a pretty faithful adaptation. I, you know, I don't really remember if I've read that or not. I feel like I was forced to somewhere along the way to read it. Maybe. It, maybe selections from it or an abridged version of it. I feel like, but I don't know. I'd like to reread it. So maybe I'll put that on my list of things to do. Cause I, I mean, I think you I will, have a, you will be in jolly copy here somewhere. Oh, there we go. I'm walking around the streets, reading pride and prejudice. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, 
What else? Oh, I started Dark Winds on AMC, which is uh, a new, uh, it's sort of, I don't want to call it exactly a police procedural, but it is. <laughs> um, let me see. Where, let me see. What was it? It's on AMC. I think I'm watching an AMC Plus. And it's, uh, you know, the uh, it's uh, Tony Hillerman. He's like an author. He wrote all these books. I think they've been adapted before. Uh, but this mm-hmm. is like a new series. Uh, yeah, based on the Lee Porn and Chi book series by Tony Hillerman. Uh, Zahn McLaren. McLaren? Yes. McLaren. Um, he is in it. Uh, and I like him. From he's, Westworld. Yeah, he's been in all kinds and of other things. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like really excited uh, to see that. And I, I'm, I'm watching that. It's like a murder mystery. Again, the cop thing. Uh Oh, it's about like not. I think it's the Navajo. I think they're on Navajo land. Yeah, Navajo police officers Joe and uh, Jim, Jim in the 1970s. So again, it's a period piece. I love that. I love uh, 1970s Southwest. So I started watching that. Uh, it's pretty good so far. I recommend it. Uh, some of the critique around it, I've not completely read, but I've seen headlines and stuff talking about getting away from like trauma narratives for for Native Indigenous. Uh, people, which I think is uh, great, you know, and 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 people are that are writing the show, you know, are native peoples, and you know, just kind of trying to tell a different kind of story. So I'm excited to see where it goes. They've released two episodes so far, I think, dropped uh, last Sunday or, or something like that, maybe this past Sunday. Um, what I don't even know what today is anymore. <laughs> Uh, but I recommend it is what I'm saying. So check it out. Uh, it's creepy. You know, uh, I thought they were supernatural type things, but it doesn't seem to be what's going on. So I never read any of the books. I had one of the books for a long time. Somebody gave it to me and I just, I never read it. I think it was the thief of time or thief of time or something. Uh, but I never read it. I had it when I was like a kid and I finally gave it away before we moved to this house, like eight or nine years ago. Cause I was like, I'm never going to read this. I don't even know what it is. And now I regret that because I wish I would have read it. <laughs> uh, especially if like the books are like the series. Um, you know, I did sneak off and see men. I don't know if I told you that. This might be news on uh, Fright School to Joe. <laughs> that is news to me. Yeah, I d- it's because I have all this time during the day and I have, you know, that AMC membership where you get three movies a week. I'm not, I think I've paid for it for like two or three months and I've only seen like two movies. So it's definitely not working out. <laughs> it's working out in AMC's favor because they're, they're not having to show me any movies. Uh, but I did, I, I just need to get out of the house. Cause I was like going crazy here, uh, more crazy. And uh, so I went and I saw men, I enjoyed it. I need to see it again. Fucking weird. Have you seen it yet? I know we talked about it. Okay. I recommend it. We should watch it for the show at some point. Maybe give it, you know, some time. Give it a few months because I do want to see it again. But I, I need some more analysis to come out about it. I need to see more conversation because it's, it was super strange. Uh, but it had some neat stuff. I don't think it's spoiling anything uh, to say it's like you know the woman she's like, um, you know, suffering from like a tragedy away from the big city so she's out in the middle of you know nowhere in a cottage in the woods and uh she's harassed by some men and it's really interesting because when she goes into the village and she go and she like meets police officers or the mailman or you know a young boy all of them are the same man so 
So, which I thought was really kind of cool. And I don't think, cause that's like not really giving anything away. Cause you're going to tell immediately that like all their faces, it's like the same guy in different makeup. So yeah, it's Rory Kinnear. Yeah. 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 And it's really cool. Like the, the funk, the way it functions. I'm like, Oh, this is super weird. I dig this. Uh, but the film itself, we would definitely have to watch and do a deep dive. And apologies to Final Girl Ashley, because I know she wanted us all to go see it together. And I still will. If we all want to go, we can go, because I do want to see it again. Uh, <laughs> but when we do watch it, we will definitely do an episode on it, because we're all going to, you know, you're going to be like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <sighs> um, I've been, um, I actually binged uh, a couple things. Um on Amazon, uh, they have, uh, uh, there's a two part documentary about the kids in the hall. Um, and I watched it and it was brilliant. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the kids in the hall. I watched like when the, when it was in syndication and, uh, comedy central, when the, when the comedy central's logo was the world with the little, the little, Oh yeah. Yeah. So I remember watching it then and, um, just thinking like, oh my God, this is so messed up, but it's so funny. And I don't know why I like this. Um, I, I credit kids in the hall with my love of like the absurd and um, the strange in terms of comedy. So uh, watch the two part documentary that was really good. And then they it's in conjunction with the fact that uh, the kids in the hall released a new season of television Um on Amazon. So all seven, eight episodes are out right now. And it's, they are still, you know, the uh, crazy, like wild, um, uh, absurd. It has like, what are you watching moments? Like there's, there's just like full frontal male nudity. There's like a, a sentient glory hole, like there's all this stuff. And, um, and it was just so much fun to watch. Um, and to see that, like, yeah, they haven't really lost it, but they, they're embracing different parts. So, and they also ha- happen to have all the old episodes of Kids in the Hall as well, too. So, uh, do that, folks. Go and go and watch uh, Kids in the Hall and learn about some weird, strange comedy. Um, not for nothing, but uh, but um, Scott Thompson, who is in Kids in the Hall, he was, uh, you know him, he was in Hannibal. And he was one of the FBI agents in Hannibal, uh, like one of the first like openly gay people. Uh, prime like, was he an uh, agent, or he was the autopsy? The um, he, he was examiner. like a he was in the crime lab somehow. Like he was yeah. he was an FBI agent, but he wasn't like a oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah, in the lab. Um, in his he actually released a stand up album where he talked about that, and he's like, "I played an FBI agent, and they gave me a gun," <laughs> and you know. I was a little dramatic. I know what that means. I was trying, I was like Charlie's angels when they were (laughs) (laughs) figuring out to handle this gun, like an FBI agent. But, um, uh, he, I didn't realize this until like now looking back. He's Alyssa Edwards on the, you know, he's he's Alyssa Edwards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Scott Thompson is like, he, he talked about being like openly gay on like cable television and playing openly queer characters, and especially his most famous one that I love, Buddy Cole. Uh, like, it was just so, like, I was like, man, representation does matter. And it is not, I mean, it's not perfect. It's not, um, it's, they have a they have a sketch 
starring, uh, I, I showed this to James. They have a sketch uh, called Running Faggot. And it's like, you know, straight, it's, it's like four straight men in the, in the kids in the hall, plus like Scott Thompson, who's gay. And it, he's like supposed to be this like folk hero that they have a song for. And it's not great. Right. But I understand where they're going with it in terms of like the word and the fact that there is like a folk hero that is like beating up rednecks and, you know, helping children. <laughs> Um, and his only superpower is that he runs. He just runs away. <laughs> well, but, I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure if I saw it, I'd find it amusing. So, I mean, obviously today's episode, we're going to be talking about some very complicated uh, queer characters. So, you know, and com- complexities around the queer identity. So that's that's totally fine. So uh, I'm excited for everybody who loves uh, Kids in the Hall. And because uh, yeah, it's always fun when something gets brought back and, you know, you enjoy it. You know, uh, I, I mean, is it like, do you think it's successful? Like for. I think that, I think that, I mean, this is also just my, my point of view, but I think that if you were familiar with them before you have to watch the documentary because it made me love the new, it made me appreciate how far they came because in the second, it's a two part documentary. And in the second film, they talk about like their rift, like their decade long rift between um, how Dave Foley ends up getting like uh, booked on other things and how they had a terrible time trying to make their movie and all this stuff and kind of like how friends became rivals and it was very bitter. And, and then to see them like get back together and like play together again was just like really great. Um. So I recommend the documentary first, then seeing the new stuff. I think it's effective. I think that they are definitely playing on some nostalgia, but they're not afraid to go to new places. Um, Very cool, especially because, like you know, they're all they're all older, and so um, one thing that they talked about was the fact that like um, they're all kind of united in their the, the absurdity of their comedy comes from this idea that like comedy is about laughing in the face of death. And that like, we're all going to die. And that's what makes everything completely absurd is the fact that, you know, it all will end. And so, you know, let's just laugh along the way. And there were some really deep and poignant things about that, that I was like, huh, I wonder if that's like on some subconscious level, what I connected with in their comedy in terms of like, this is completely insane, but at the same time, I love it. And yeah. Yeah. So that's only my favorite. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite kind of comedy. And I think most comedy is bored out of that. You know, there's a lot of tragedy that births comedy because we have to laugh at it, you know, laugh at the absurdities of of life, Uh, you know, the pettiness. Like, you know, we're such a petty species for only living, you know, on average 70 to 80 years. Like, we spend a lot of time. I I don't even know if that's average. I just made that up. Um, (laughs) But it seems we're living longer. So I hope, I hope. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to make it to 80 or 90, you know, or even a hundred, that'd be fine. But regardless, we have pathetically brief lives is the point in the scheme of things. Uh, and we spend a lot of it being petty and a lot of it being, uh, you know, a lot of it suffering unnecessarily. Uh, that's for lots of reasons, you know, not to blame the victims of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the human victims, I mean, of us, you know, not being asked to be born. (laughs) 
it's not it's not our fault that uh you know a lot of the tragedies and a lot of the unnecessary suffering happens but um some of it is <laughs> so yeah i i agree with you there that is my favorite kind of comedy just to be like you know all of this and then you die uh so i think that's probably a good place to stop uh, before we uh, on that note <laughs> Yeah, and we will be back to discuss, I'm very excited, uh, this lovely French film, uh, Knife Plus Heart. I just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid, and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I'm so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I'm so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? Right, welcome back. First of all, I wanted to bring this up in the first segment. I um I love your your like nails. They're like a nice color like mine. Look at that. We're doing yes, but they're they are they are busted though. They are a little dusty. They need to be redone. It's what happens. Um, yeah. But very cool. They look good. Oh, that was interesting. They just became part of your background. <laughs> yes. Well, they're they're like on they're like on the blue green spectrum. Yeah. So I think it's just like, you know, they look, it's now it's now it's part of our oh, yeah. creepy. All righty. So today, un couteau dans le coeur, a knife in the heart or knife plus heart, as it's known in English. 2018, uh, definitely horror thriller. Uh, we've got Jan Gonzalez on direction, along with writing it with uh, Christiana Mangione or Mangione. Uh, who, let's see, who are the actors, actresses, uh, Vanessa Parody, Nicola Mori, Kate Moran, Jonathan Genet, Roman Bollinger. We got names, names, names that we're, I'm just, uh, destroying. This is like, you know, a decade of French classes. This is what. I, I was like, you're reading that. them like I would be reading them. Why are you not reading them with the affectation? <laughs> well, you know, it's always it's always a mix because it's like if you do it, you sound pretentious. If you don't, you sound like an idiot. So then I end up doing like a mix where it's like I start to say something right and then change it to be goofy. I don't know. You're like Vanessa Paradis. <laughs> Paradis. 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 Mm. 
Super fun. Uh, you know, this film competed for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival mm-hmm. uh, or was selected to compete. Did it actually compete? I should uh, I should have checked that. It was in the running, but it did not win, I think. Oh, OK. Yeah, but it was it was one. So which is kind of amazing for the type of film it is. Um, and let's see, you've got France, Mexico, Switzerland, all part of the production of it. So great. Very international. Uh, and it's about a woman who, a lesbian woman who makes uh, pornographic films and the actors of her pornographic films are getting murdered. What? Uh, what? Uh, uh, Joe, what'd you think? Qu'est-ce que tu penses? <laughs> what? Is that what it means? Is that what you're... I think that would be, yeah. What are, what are you, what, what are you thinking? I do not speak French. Um, I, I was shockingly enthralled by this film. It's um, hard to not watch, like to not look away. Yes. I mean, I loved it. And here's the thing, Joshua, it reminds me so much of movies that I've hated. I, sorry, real quick. I was right. Qu'est-ce que tu penses? <laughs> what do you think? Qu'est-ce que tu penses? Um, I I thought I would hate it because it reminds me so much of movies that we've seen that I hate, and I really loved it. I would totally. Did watch you really again. hate cruising that much? No, I was th- I was thinking about audition. Uh, um, oh, yeah, I, I didn't even think about audition. Very cool. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm gonna keep it. Well, the, the reason why I didn't like the, the films, I'm th- I'm thinking specifically about films where it's like unreliable. It's unreliable narrator. You don't quite know what is real and what is a dream. Um, you you don't quite know, uh, like what is in the narrative, uh, and then what is like it's like for the benefit of the audience, like at the, like the five minutes at the end, like the little sum, summation at the end, where it was like, this is for us to make sure that we understand what the fuck it is that we just watched. Um, yeah. But so like, I didn't really care for like audition in that for, because of that, or, you know, some other films that we watched, but I really like this. Um, you mentioned pairing this with cruising. I would not pair this with cruising. I would pair this with The Love Witch, which we haven't done, but I've oh, right. seen. Yeah, I've seen that too. It's very good. We should. We will do that sometimes. Yeah, that is, we, we should do that. Film. Yeah. Um, but I really, really liked it. Um, it was just like the perfect amount of camp. I was primed for it right after cruising, so I was able to understand the references. Um, I definitely felt like, I mean, like, I understand Jalo. I mean, if I did not have any basis or any any uh, root of Jalo, I would not probably under um, have appreciated this. But I liked it. I liked it a lot. I would probably watch this again. Yay! Well, we love yeah. that. We need we need somewhere we need to make this somewhere we need to make like a board that's like <laughs> what will Joe watch again and like make a list. Uh, I should put that in the newsletter, um, oh, which reminds me, subscribe to our newsletter below because not only do you get fun, you know, missives from us, but we also reveal the month of episodes that's coming up, give you previews for other things. So super fun. So definitely there's a link in our everywhere. So looking for our link tree. Also in the show notes, there's a link, but um, I should definitely put that in there. Like, yay, we got another one. Uh, Cause I feel like it's only like once or twice a year anymore that we really get. 
<laughs> like one you're going to watch again. So very cool. Uh, I definitely, I, I guess when I was saying cruising, it's just because the whole opening uh, like of, of cruising and this are like identical, you know, yeah. it's, it's basically the same. Um, uh, so I was just like, oh man, this would be fun to kind of pair these together somehow. Uh, but I, I like the idea of the love, Witch or other movies that kind of, you know, hype on that sort of the vibe. Uh, one of the next things I wrote was like, the lighting is gorgeous. Uh, you know, very giallo versus like the eighties. Like it's such a nice, like these, those intense reds and the blues and just the color of this film is gorgeous. Um, the way uh, on is dressed. Gosh, she, it's just, I, her aesthetic is so cool uh, for the most part uh, until like the picnic scene where suddenly she's like fuzzy mother. Like she's wearing like pastels, like, like what's happening here. Uh, but it was cute. It just, it was a different look for, you know, the leather yeah. skirts and stuff she was wearing. Yeah. Like uh, patent leather trench coat, like come on. Yes. Oh yeah. And the skirt and like the shirt kind of tucked and oversized her hair just, yeah. I really dug, uh, dug the way she looked. Um, and yeah, it just had like a real complexity to, to the characters. And again, the other reason I wanted to pair this with cruising and thing, and again, I'm really glad that I, we chose this lineup because I didn't anticipate it. Um, I, I feel like I watched knife plus heart like a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, and I first seen cruising a long, long time ago. So watching that again and then watching this right after it, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is a nice seg. Uh, so. Um, but the reason is because, again, it's another look at like a really specific part of queer culture and identity um, that is, you know, so often not, you know, not wanting to be shown you know, or, or hidden away or, uh, or shunned or, or whatnot. So, and, and that's like the making of pornography, which, uh, again, I think I've talked about before on the, on the podcast, but you know, no shame. I didn't do pornography, but I worked for an adult entertainment company for a while in sales and, 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 uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff, memberships and, and, and product. Um, and so there were times watching this that it gave me like some flashbacks to that. I was just like, oh man, I remember because <laughs> everything was kind of housed in the same place. So like my offices and like the storerooms and all of that were like right next to where they were filming. And so it was kind of weird to walk through those areas and, you know, every week or, you know, every month they'd be totally different places, you know, cause they'd have to build the sets and change the sets around. And, um, you know, and then they rented a house and kind of the same thing. There were lots of bedrooms that they changed into different uh, places and venues. So there were just moments of this that it felt very, um, immediate to me even though it's been quite a few years since i worked there <laughs> so fun right <laughs> yeah um because it is kind of it is like that that's like this show that is kind of what it's like there is a certain and the other thing is is that it's not erotic this is another film that is like there's all this pornography and stuff on display and like flesh, but it's like not erotic there was nothing like sexy about this film which again if you're like part of the industry it's kind of the same. Like it really is like some people on a bed doing what they're doing with a bunch of other people standing around, like either directing or like lighting and doing stuff. So there's just a real flatness to it. You know, just a lack of eroticism. I push back on that because I think that might be your lived experience having worked in the industry. I think that I see what you're saying in terms of like 
they're playing up the scenes for the camp value of it more than anything and in the heightened nature. But I felt like all of like, I felt like all of the seductions right before the murders were very erotic and just, I mean, also that's like part of. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the the filming parts. Like when they would show the filming going on that, that's what felt. So it just felt very real to me. Cause I'm like, yeah, that is kind of what it feels like. Like, you know, just you're doing your job and people are doing this in the other room and you're just kind of like, ah, whatever, you know, or you walk through the sets and it's just, it just felt very much like that kind of that situation. But I, I agree with the other parts. Yes. There is a lot of sexy seduction going on in other parts of the film, but not when it comes to the pornography. No, no, no. That's very interesting. It wasn't, it's not until the very end. It's not until the last, the final, her, like, you know, where she makes peace with Lois or Louise. Right. Uh, yeah. Louise. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Which was, which is like, Oh, it's like, okay. So now we get it. And uh, yeah, it's just so, it's so great. And I just love that. Like, you know, she's like, are you, <laughs> are you on Perez? I like, you know, I love your, I love your films. This is your magnum opus. And I'm like, Oh my God, like some, you know, man in a, a blue movie theater. <laughs> It's like, I've seen all your films. Uh, It's just so, it was so camp in that way. But like the storytelling was strange. Like there's a lot of like really fantastical elements. That's why it reminded me so much of The Love Witch because Mm -hmm. of that. I'm just like, I know they're playing this seriously and straight. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I was not really inclined to like laugh or whatever or think it was, I mean, there's comedic moments, but definitely not. That's not what they're going for. But it was just so much fun. It was just also like just a fun little romp, just a fun, like this is one of those movies that you put on and it's like a date night. Like I would put this on as like a date night movie. Um, and uh, mainly because it's just like, it's um, the heightened feelings of it all too. Like I, I just thought it was really cool. Uh yeah. This is a movie I would definitely play at a party with like electronic music over it. Cause the, the score is great. And there were so many other bands. I was thinking like, Oh man, it'd be so fun to like use this as visual art and play other music over it. So like this, the love, Witch is another, cause the aesthetic is nice. It's, you know, it's not necessarily about following. And then like Suspiria is one uh, like that too, where it's like, Oh man, I just love to put that on the background and in a dark room with the lights and stuff of it, it works really well for like ambiance at a party. And this is like one of those, cause I don't feel it's too gory. Like there are some scenes that are violent, obviously. And the police like talk about what happens to the victims. Um, but it in and of itself, it's not, it's not a, it's definitely not like French new extreme as, you know, yeah. new extremity, you know, this isn't like Margaret's not like high tension. Uh, the blood again, it's very jollo as it spills out and artfully around bodies and stuff. You know, it's very that, uh, you don't really of. see the killing. Like you see, yeah. you, you don't, you see some of it, but you don't really see the penetration for the most part. Exactly. I, yeah. I think, I think the most that you see is, um, when the killer Guy kills, uh, um, the the trans actress in the field because you see yeah. the knife go through, yeah, yeah, and then you kind of see it hanging out of her back. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, that was. Um, uh, they have two different names in the film. Martine is when they're before they transition because they're, and then I think it's Marizi, Marizia. Yeah. Misha, Misha, M I S I A, Misha, Misha, Misha. Um, yeah. 
right? That is, but that's like as bad as it gets. And even in that moment, it's such like, because the the killer's like approaching from behind and the camera whirs around in a circle and then comes back and comes back and comes back as they get closer. Mm-hmm. It's such an artful, like beautiful moment in the film, obviously while well, something really horrible happens, but I was quite um, taken with that scene. All of it. I mean, yeah, I just thought it was a really cool movie. And then on top of it, it adds like, you know, almost everybody in the film, you know, all the major actors portray queer people. I don't know about their real lives. I did not, you know, research or find out, but, um, but there's a lot of complexity to them, especially on, you know, she's like this clearly a creative force. You know, she's making these very artistic kinds of uh, pornographic films. They've, you know, there's like a, there's a Jalo element to some of them even, you know, and she takes her real life and kind of turns it into pornography or pulls from from life. Um, you know, she's made like eight movies or something, so she must be doing well enough because you know, you, to fund the films. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's the seventies. Uh, you know, so we do have some, you know, some of that at play. But then she has this like relationship with um, uh, Louise, as you said earlier, McKenna, uh, Kate Moran, Moran. Mohan probably <laughs> who they broken up, but she's her editor and on is like obsessed with her and is like really violent towards her doing, you know, doing weird stuff with the, um, the editing, you know, writing stuff to her, um, to Mature, you've murdered me, you've killed me. Um, and then, you know, there's like that ultimate scene between them after the picnic where there's like the storm and she like tracks her down and like assaults her like sexually assaults her and tells her her you know her body belongs to her her parts belong to her uh it's such an intense scary scene and i don't really think i was trying to think if i've really seen that in films before with like lesbian actresses now i've had that happen in my personal life like obviously most of us have known people that have you know have been in these sorts of um situations so i've seen that play out before um between friends but i was like i don't think i've ever seen that on film you know people kind of want to like act as if the queer community doesn't have these issues you know doesn't have domestic violence issues or you know like at least our media uh seems to you know kind of downplay that um and even like with the police and stuff something you know they don't always want to get involved that's you know a problem um you know when it's between uh queer people i'm sure that's shifting i'm sure it's changing but it definitely used to be a thing like don't bother with the police like what are they going to do um yeah i mean not as if they do much for a lot of straight women obviously or at least women in relationships with violent men um, but that's all other conversations. So I was just like, wow, there's a lot happening in this film that is not norm. I feel not normally a part of queer conversation. So I was curious what you thought about that. Cause did you, you just went in blind and just watched it. So that must've been the, a shocking. The only thing I knew about it was the trailer that I saw like, you know, last year or, um, whenever it came out. And I have to say, uh, you, you make some good points. Like, I think that this is the, especially right after cruising, like this is a great film. That's also like the sheer ineptitude of the police. Right. Like it's this. Yeah. Um, and, and like just the power too that on has when uh, she, <laughs> when she basically takes her life experience with the police and turns it into porn like yeah. that. I'm just like, Oh, you know, the complete like thumb in your eye. 
um, at, at, uh, at that. But then I think it's also Which like again, real quick, ec- ec- sorry, echoes some of that stuff in cruising when the two police officers sexually assault the, yeah. we believe the trans women by forcing them to, you know, do sex acts so they don't have to go to jail. So I thought, again, that was another thing where I'm like, wow, there, that's like another echo of something 40 years apart ish right yeah um that is still obviously kind of something to to discuss but sorry go ahead and then you have like i think that what connects the two besides like the obvious like visual like homages that that uh that the knifeless heart has um is the idea that like well no the police don't protect us we protect us and that's like yeah. most evident in the final scene um so i don't think we talked about it i just want to go back really quickly so for folks who have not seen this film like the plot is that a serial killer is murdering um uh gay porn actors and our all this and subsequently is also going after the director on and in the final moments when the killer is revealed themselves uh it's all of the gay patrons of this theater that like do him in <laughs> yeah. and, and end up like dispatching him in this like very cathartic, like community way of like, no, we protect, like this woman made things for us. We protect her. And this is how we protect ourselves because the police have not been doing anything. And yeah. it's just so fascinating how like, that's the through line. Right. And again, completely yeah. different culture, France versus, you know, France uh, yeah. versus United States, totally. but, but still like that, you, that, that, that calling into that queer experience of like violence um, and the idea that like of mutual aid and like, we take care of ourselves. No one, no one's the, the cavalry is not coming. We are the cavalry. We have to help. We, we take care of ourselves. Um. Which I thought, like, while like while sad because of because of its truth, is also quite beautiful in how it's uh, in quite quite beautiful in how they are dispatched and uh, in in terms of like this big community way, um, and then all the stuff with like um, like the the like the this like this like gaggle of trans women who are all sex workers that have like, just like the description that uh, Marisha is giving <laughs> of each of her sisters. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, she'll be like the Arabian beauty. I think that was my favorite line. It's like the Arabian beauty. She promises you a thousand nights, but you're done in two licks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, and just like the idea that like, you know, Hey everybody, we're, we're, we're done. We're done making this porno. We're going to go have a picnic in the countryside. And then they're just like all laying on each other, this like beautifully composed tableau of like, of, <laughs> of like Parisian sex workers eating, um, eating grapes from each other. Like it was just so, it, it was so beautiful. And pastoral. Like, I, yeah. Pastoral, idyllic. And, and it, I, I mean, Joshua, did you ever have like when you worked at uh, the adult film company? Did you ever like you know go to a field? You almost said the name, didn't you? <laughs> I almost did. I, I, I don't want to get sued. Not going to get sued. Um, when you worked there, did you uh, did you like you know eat grapes from one another in a pastoral field for like a company bonding picnic or? You know, not exactly, but it was very. It was. 
it's such a weird situation there because like we would keep like wine in the place. So it was like, we would like have a few glasses of wine in the middle of the day, smoke, you know what, <laughs> do other things. And there were beanbag chairs everywhere. So yeah, there actually were quite a few times where it's like, if there was a lull or something was finished, it was like, let's just like hang out. Let's order food. Let's, let's all go out somewhere. So it was very familial in a way. Uh, plus, I was close friends with several of the people that worked there um, outside even before I came in. That's how I got the job. That's it's probably how most people get the job is they know somebody who like already is in it and they need like somebody to you know do the work. And uh, yeah, so actually it was kind of like at times. And I like that with with the the main with our with the the full-time workers that were there. I didn't like when the models were involved. I do. I think that's a big problem in the industry and it still isn't, you know, probably big because it's such a turnover. You know, it's not like these people could come and work there for years because the patrons get bored, you know, the subscribers get bored. They're paying, you know, monthly fees or they're buying the, the videos. They don't want to see the same people. Uh, you know, again, that's why Pornhub and all these other like things are so popular is because there's millions of new faces constantly you know so it's like it was it was awkward sometimes with the models so not not awkward in the sense of like i don't care what they were doing i mean we could all they could all do whatever they were doing we could go out somewhere but um i I just think the boundaries got blurred sometimes uh which again is one of the reasons i left and wanted to pursue mental health uh career was uh to be more supportive of of people in that industry to some degree um but that's all other conversation Two, uh, one of your points though, when you were talking about America versus France, what I like is like, it's not much different everywhere in the world. You find hatred for queer people. And uh, obviously I know that's not what you were saying um, that like France might not be the same, but it is, um, or it was at least. So the uh, writer, you know, writer director said in France, it has been violent with gay marriage, which was only like four or five years ago. And then there were lots of people in the streets against gay marriage, like straight families with kids, thousands of people pro, protesting, lots of protests. This to me was super violent. Uh, so the fox, so in the story, Guy, um, has fallen in love with this other boy. Um, they seem very young to me in the story. Um, Isham. Isham. And so they're in Isham. Yeah. So they're in the barn, you know, diddling and Guy's father finds them and he murders Isham. He, the description said castrate, but if you watch the movie, it's like full emasculation. Um, so it's like cuts that all off, sets the barn on fire and leaves these boys, you know, his son to die. And so the uh, assault turns guy in our gee, sorry, into a monster. And, you know, he takes on this identity, this Jalo identity, almost as a switchblade killer, which again, it is very Jalo black gloves, the knife. It just, it reminds me of a lot of the Jalo movies that we saw. Um, and with no strong police presence to stop him, he does so with ease. So um, I, that whole storyline is very interesting, but also it adds a little bit, a confusing message to, to the story. So um I like your point about, you know, we have to protect ourselves because the police aren't, aren't going to do, you know, they're not going to help. They're not doing anything. Um, you include like the feather, like, so the police finds the feather, the, you know, officer gives it to her and he's like, Oh, it's going to take weeks of testing. And she's like, 
I'm going to go to a fucking aviary, a beautiful fucking aviary, by the way. Oh my gosh, that was incredible. The, the sets in this film, the in, indoor, outdoor, wherever they are. Oh my gosh. Like visual You're talking face. about the pyramid? Yeah. Yes. When she like goes into that and this whole like nature reserve, I thought, I think of it as an aviary because of the bird and then the bird yeah. dude with the bird hand and the whole, like very interesting, but figures it out in two seconds. So again, police are completely useless because they have to, again, go like that. They don't need to wait for tests. Take the feather to the damn aviary down the street. <laughs> you recognize this? <laughs> Can you and help me identify like, it? Well, hold on. Like it's a feather that he kept. I always keep a trophy mm. from my cases. Right. I was, that was like, strange. look, look here, Dexter. Like, <laughs> right. And he puts it in this like lovely, like red, like cushioned box. And then, you know, Birdman comes and it's just a whole thing. I thought that the, I thought the, the woman who was the head of the aviary or assuming, assuming head of the aviary, she looked like La Femme Mort from inside. Oh, <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, you know, there were some times where in this film that was kind of mystical. It's like, is on having prophetic dreams is she just remembering hearing the story and, and she had made, you know, this film years ago based on it. Uh, you know, there, you know, there's the whole thing with um, Misha with the, uh, you know, where she's holding her hand and kind of telling her yeah. things that do sort of come. So there is like a weird mystical element to this movie, but um, which again, it's like, I don't know how to think. Cause overall the plot, it's kind of confusing. Like the, the um, not, not the plot, the plot is not confusing. We, we, we know what's happening by the end of it. Guy is hunting down the people involved in exploiting, you know, his story, this great love story for him, this tragedy of his life, um, you know, that that's left him horribly disfigured, has left him without love, without, you know, he's totally ashamed of, um, or not ashamed, but, you know, just he's fucked. <laughs> his life is super fucked up. And you just, so there's like this part of it that's really beautiful and sad. And then the other part where it's like, yeah, he's this, like, he becomes this villain who's killing, uh, you know, other queer people uh, because either he's, you know, well, again, I think it's mostly because he's just, he's angry that they've exploited and not told his story correctly. Cause obviously in her film, the father walks in and they all have an orgy instead of, <laughs> instead of murdering each other, which yeah. It makes sense. It's it's a porn, porn. <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> but but he also like he was an amnesiac, right? So like he right because the crows, yeah. the blind crows, like nursed him back to health in the like forest where people go to die. Yeah. Like, again, I, again, as I'm saying it, I was like, I shouldn't like this movie. I shouldn't like it because this has all the makings. Of, a, of those types of films that I hate. And yet I really do like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it reminds, it's the crow, you know, like it, this is like the crow meets like a little bit of cruising audition. I do like that. You know, there's fuzziness, even right. Like at the beginning, cause on and Guy have a very, like they're parallels of each other. You know, they sort of echo each other, um, you know, just in like love and like this uh, psychotic manic, love for another person causes them to create all this destruction around them. And like, she's not even like these people care about this person, you know, they might be sex workers or, and, 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 and pornographic actors, but she just comes in. It's like, all right guys. So um, what was his name? The first one who dies. Um, Carl. Uh, yeah. Carl dies. So Carl is dead, stabbed in the rectum by the police. So what we're going to do is make a new movie based on Carl's murder. 
let's all go move around. And these people are just like, what the f-? And, and so she's doing that, this thing, exploiting the, the very real lives as they keep dying. She's like, you know, making this film pornographic film about them. Uh, again, they're pornographic actors. So I guess it's kind of documentary or, you know, biopic. I don't know. It's, it's very fucked up is what it is. So she's creating all of this other devastation. She's like attacking her, you know, ex-girlfriend. She's, she herself is, is, is a, is an agent of chaos. And then so is Guy, but both of them have this like intense love for another person. And like that is wrapped up in the tragedy, which is why it's kind of weird at the end when he, he's murdered by all the other, like, you know, patrons of this place. So it kind of, again, there's an echoing because the father kills him out of like a homophobic rage. And then it's like, I don't know. It doesn't read exactly like internalized homophobia, but like, I feel like there's something in there about that, you know, with his death being the way it is, he's not killed by on, he's not avenged by, uh, or he's not killed in, in a vengeance way by somebody who was like a, you know, related to a victim. So it's kind of a weird thing, which leads me to one of the, um, articles I read for this, um, tries to make the case, but I, again, I think it's really, really muddy, because of, of uh, what's happening. So I'm, I'm not sure I exactly agree with this take, but this is from Collider by Chris um, Sussegway, wrote that Knife Plus Heart used the Jalo genre to talk about the AIDS epidemic. Uh, so again, we're in the 70s, so this is before the AIDS epidemic was really... Um, happening you know on like i mean it was there um hiv existed people were getting it but but still a while before it was like identified like things i think were happening possibly as early as the mid 70s um so and he makes points like the authorities took on the role of bystander rather than protector going to your point about like you know need to protect each other because nobody else is going to um you know the uh the aids crisis uh, for nearly two decades the aids crisis was left unchecked by those in positions of power as the virus ravaged the gay community's bodies global governments were slow to react so in knife plus heart the marginalization is displayed on a smaller scale um by using a formulaic jello plot, Knife Plus Heart mirrors this movement, meaning like ACT UP and things like that, uh, featuring an amateur detective attempting to solve murders rather than the police. As in real life, uh, the authorities, oh, I already said that, sorry. Um, the murderer can be seen as a stand-in for the virus itself, faceless danger that taints sexual freedom with law enforcement nowhere in sight. The movie's finale set at an adult theater is a symbolic act of defiance. Um, you know, when realizing the killers among them, the young gay attendees rise together to permanently end the murderer's reign of terror. If no one will protect them, the community will take care of themselves. Uh, obviously, we know like lesbian women had a major role to play in like caring for queer men who were dying of AIDS and others. Uh, you know, so th- I-, I can see where some of that is, but the problem is, is that the killer himself is a victim of like a horrific homophobic act who is responding to the exploitation of that and just to the general rage of like not being, you know, you know, maybe there could be a case for like, uh, these people are free in their sexuality and they're open. Nobody's punishing them for it. So he is because of his own, he's been robbed of it. So again, like I can, I can talk more about like, you know, internalized homophobia or um, the anger of like, you know, of wanting to rob other people of their freedom. But I have a hard time seeing this as an AIDS conversation when the killer themselves, like it just, it kind of gets muddy, you know? Well, you, I, I don't think, 
having not read the article, right? Like, I don't think that this person is taking into account, like, the personhood or the sentience of the killer, right? Right. So if you if you do that in the same way that, you know, a virus is not, like, doesn't discriminate, does not have sentience, like, in, in this way, for that particular point of analysis, you complicate it. You, I mean, I say that in, like, in terms of an argument, not, like, in terms of fright school where we overcomplicate everything. But, like, <laughs> right. You're complicating it by adding the fact that, like, the at the core of this film or at the core of why the uh killer Guy is doing what he's doing is because of like seeking out the vengeance from the trauma um and and ultimately like the supposed see for my thing it's like it's also kind of like a misunderstanding and kind of a coincidence because um on like just so happened to like create this the plot for this film and it stars all of the people who have been murdered. And, you know, that's where she realizes like, oh, look, it's, it's this thing. It's this thing. And it's interesting because like, she doesn't, like, she doesn't know that she did it. I mean, that's adding to the mysticism of, you know, the prophetic nature of it, but like, it's all a misunderstanding. Like she, you know, she, he's saving her for last because it's like, Oh, you know, you did this to me. And like you, you're laughing at my love story, not only my love story, but also my trauma. Um, And so in a way it's like, you know, he, in the same way that like the rules of horror, right. Is that you, even if there is justification uh, for, for something uh, for the cosmicness of how shitty, like how like something shitty has been done to you. You also, because you're perpetrating murder, you also must pay in that same way as well. This is why like the original ending of Dexter doesn't work. Right. (laughs) Uh, The original ending of Dexter doesn't work. And what, what, uh, or the, what ended up being the end, the series finale of Dexter doesn't work because in the intended ending, it was supposed to be like a finality to the idea that like by committing murder, you have also condemned yourself. Right. So, so in that way, I think like, I hear what you're saying and we, you know, like we want to recognize and honor that, but at the same time, like, you know, we can't let uh, in the rules of the rules of horror by committing murder, you have now, it, and it's not like self-defense, right? It's not like Sidney Prescott killing the killers at the end. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting conversation again, like to, to kind of talk about this particular killer as, you know, as like a, a signifier of like the AIDS epidemic or HIV crisis. Um, I saw it was a little odd again. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we can make an argument and not, I'm just, you know, like if you personify like viruses, it can be seen as like an attempt by the earth to protect itself from us, <laughs> from, from human invasion. But I don't think that this is, I don't want, this is a deep film in a lot of reasons, in a lot of ways, but I think that might be a little too, especially because it's not set during that time. Um, nobody mentions HIV or AIDS during the film. Not that they have to, again, we talked about the fly, you know, being a conversation about AIDS, cancer, you know, other sorts of disease, but again, because it's set in a specific time, it's not as if they mention it, it doesn't have to, it's just that um, these are also, <sighs> in my opinion, the story would need to have that conversation because this is pornography being made. And, you know, that 
is, you know, very much a conversation. Like if you're making sex films and you have a virus raging in the community that is killing people, you know, because of, you know, sex, then there would have been a little bit more conversation about it in the film and there's not. So I feel like the film itself is ignoring, you know, any conversation about, at least that I remember. Do you remember any conversation in the film where it's like, oh, we got to wear condoms because we might, you know, die. (laughs) I don't remember that conversation happening at all in the film. No, I don't. Well, no, I don't think that's, I I, I don't know. They they did not have those conversations, but are you saying that I'm, I'm struggling to understand what it is that you mean, because it does not feel like, are you saying that like there, I, I, I think the, your interpretation, the article is saying that it's like a rhetorical analysis of like the killer is the virus, not like yeah. a literal virus, not like a no, literal no, no. pathogen. No, I get it. I'm just saying that I, I struggle with the reading of that because of the timing of the film, because of when, when it's taking place and the type of like, the story itself. So it's like, I just feel like I'm not sure that the director or the writers were thinking at all about that. Again, that's that you're right. That's not the point. I mean, we like the whole point of like analyzing film and, and talking about what it might be saying this, this absolutely could have some legitimacy. It's just for me that I didn't think about it at all during the film, like as something that might, yeah, the conversation might be about AIDS (laughs) or HIV, you know, the film is a modern film, right? So So, so it, it could be something that's just kind of baked in or they just totally. didn't want to do something yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to the, to also like, you know, on's credit is that on is a very much like, you know, on is like Gary Marshall. Like this is like the Gary, <laughs> the, like a lesbian <laughs> pornographer, Gary Marshall, where, you know, she's working with the same actors. So like yeah. in, from a, from a, dis, from a like health and safety OSHA standpoint, you're like working with the same people. So there is a confidence and a trust that's built among those yeah. same people. Except when she brings in non who looks like Fawad, <laughs> which like, I love a big French name, like non and Fawad and like couldn't right. get anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe then that like, I'm not, I don't want to totally dismiss the analysis. I just struggled with like seeing that as the conversation, especially because the killer wasn't like, uh, you know, somebody outside the community killing people. I, w- I yeah. would have an easier time with that. You know, uh, again, homophobia. I yeah, yeah. I was I was saddened by the end. You know, and I wrote, I was like, this this yeah. whole thing is so tragic. It's just terrible. You know, um, again, he didn't have the right to kill people, obviously. Um, you know, but I just felt no. really sad in the end for him and and his story. And and again, this is another one of those films like Cruising, um, where the the horror not only is it because not only is this queer horror because it's clearly a very queer story. It's about you know gay pornography and lesbians. And you, there's a lot going on. Oh, by the way, that lesbian bar that she goes to, incredible! I want to go there. Oh my gosh, so cool! And I want to meet that bartender and her weird vest jacket thing. I love the whole thing. Um, but but it's also this is also a very tangible like you know discussion of homophobia and its ramifications that still occur today people are still murdered around the world for being gay up here obviously people are beat up and murdered you know um for for being anywhere on the career spectrum it happens you know so it's just there's there's just so much like tangible stuff in this even though it's set in the 70s and about like you know this kind of really specific thing but there are a lot of really universal themes in it i just thought man this is such a cool movie um 
so again, maybe, maybe that is the thing. Maybe I guess I'm saying that, and I'm sure other people listening to our episodes have been like, that's too far, Joshua and Joe. I feel like the talking about AIDS, HIV in relation to this, as if the killer embodies that I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. That might be a little too far, but again, all, all viewings, all opinions are, I do feel are valid. So I just didn't feel that in my, in my watching of it. Yeah. And I I think you're correct. I I side with you in that regard, because I think that this is one of those situations where it's like, if I was an English teacher or a film teacher, right. Reading an essay. And this was the film that we had to watch. If someone made that, I'd be like, I have too many questions because like the whole, like, the like tenderest, the most tender moment of the film at the very end, the like, the like resolution, the denouement is like all about the killer and, and having you having sympathy and empathy for the killer. And one thing, and one thing, and then, you know, we can, we can start wrapping this up is that like the killer and on have a lot in common in the sense that they're both, um, they're both sympathetic monsters. Yes. Um, and, and like yeah. on, you get that, you know, because like her, her, you can sense the desperation that she wants to be with Lois. Uh, well, and that's one of the first early things you hear one of her coworkers say, she's a monster. <laughs> yeah. You're a monster. You're a monster. You're a monster. And then the killer is like, you only see the monstrosity. It's not until the very end that you realize this is, there's, this is tragic. Like this is a tragic story. And I think because we give, because the film gives this gives that uh, killer so much backstory, I don't think it's fair to say that this is just like some mindless disease that's killing indiscriminately. So yeah. um, I don't know. If I was an English teacher, I would give that paper a C minus. Um, <laughs> I probably wouldn't because I'd be like, well, hey, you know, <laughs> you 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 tried to pull out some stuff. That's cool. You know, I would want it to be really supported. Maybe there's even, maybe there's an argument out there for that. That like, well, that's fine. It can still, you know, and whatever. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I really I like that point a lot. Is because yeah, in the end, there it is like this sympathetic monstrosity at, at, at on 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 uh, at play. That makes it a really beautiful film that you didn't expect because you're like, yeah, pornography, pornographic actors murdered by mass killer. It doesn't read as something that's going to remind you of like the Phantom of the Opera, you know, or something. And it's very much in that vein. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to ask a fun question about your time in yeah. the adult film industry. Okay. Um, was there was there a person at your company? Um, or the company you worked for, not your company, but the company you worked for, was there um, your was there a person who was like uh, Bush d'Or? <laughs> oh right, uh, Bush d'Or. I, you know, it was funny when that it um, translate. You know, like the subtitles, like Mouth of Gold, and I was like, Bring the Mouth of Gold. I was like, Yeah. What? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if it would be translating so specifically. I felt like maybe there was something else at play because I was trying to figure out how the French say like gay for pay um, and without saying like, you know, like really straightforward, like gay for pay, you know, like translation, um, you know, like gay, uh, gay contra remuneration. Remuneration, like that's like direct. So I was like trying to find if there were other 
like fun ways that they might say that, but I didn't really find anything. So if you're, if you speak French and know like a slang for that, like I was wondering, is there something that's, you know, Oh, like homo pour du fric is one. Uh, homosexuel pour l'argent. Again, that's very direct very like gay for money. <laughs> Tant que gay. Uh, gay pour la paix. <laughs> See, these are a little more. You're not answering the question, Joshua. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> it's because I was really distracted by the subtitle because I was like, would they really call him that? Or would it like, is it more like golden mouth instead of bring mouth of gold? Like that just sounded weird to me. Anyways, my point is fluffers. No, uh, I don't remember. Wait, explain as- for this. Explain for the straights what a fluffer is. <laughs> the straights know what a fluffer is because that, that ex- I think that exists more in even in straight culture in straight porn than, you know, so a fluffer is usually somebody on, uh, uh, you know, who helps the actors between takes, between sets, stay hard or stay aroused or whatever. Um, I'm sure they do for everybody, all all gender spectrum uh, people. I'm sure fluffers exist to help them out. I We never had one. I never worked anywhere that had a fluffer, as far as I know. I also was not on set, so maybe you know, part of the crew would do that, but there was nobody hired to sit around waiting to like blow actors. No. I mean, they also have like Viagra, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I don't, yeah. Like, you know, let's not get into my company. The company I was working for was like the actors were young. So that wasn't a problem. As far as I know, they were mostly like ready to go. Like, I don't remember ever somebody being like, you know, we have a problem because they, you know, can't get an erection. I remember more, we'd have a problem because of improper douching. That would be a real problem. <laughs> but those are very specific to like queer, you know, gay, this was gay pornography. Um, so no, I don't remember ever seeing a fluffer around. I don't know if that's still a thing. I feel like people make jokes about it, especially in like the seventies and eighties. So I don't know if that's like a real job. Uh, this guy wasn't even a real job. He was like, I live with my mother. I do this for free. Like, okay, yeah. queen, go off. Pop off, sis. So, okay, this is a here's here comes a quaint Guam story. Um, so, in uh, when when as a kid, when we would say the rosary for the dead, um, the Catholic rosary for the dead, there'd be like a litany that you do, and the litany is like you know has all these different things. It's like so you know like. Um, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, pray for us, house of gold. And so when they said mouth of gold, I was like immediately they house of gold and made me start thinking about wanting to pray for the dead, um, which just, you know, is, is delightful. And someone listening to this who is from Guam is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And this moment is for them. Um, <laughs> I love yeah. that. I think that's really special. Very, very, very special. I'm glad that a, a film like this could bring such a quaint uh, memory, life moment, life experience uh, to your mind. Um, yeah, so uh, just looking here, I, I don't really have any other notes. Uh, you know, be careful, uh, you know, not to be destroyed by the things that you love and not to destroy them as well. Uh, that's, yeah, and monkeypox. Right. And watch out for monkeypox. Joe, as always, I enjoy you. You're a delight. Um, dear listener or viewer, if you're viewing this very voyeuristic, voyeuristically, um, voyeur, uh, thank you 
as always, thank you for your support on Patreon. Thank you for watching the show. Thank you for sharing us with your friends, following us. Oh, on, wait, now, on do, the... now do it all in French. Now do that all in French. <laughs> I should have. I should have. Um, merci beaucoup. Uh, bonsoir. Good night. <laughs> Fromage. School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.